But this is the thing about that. When we talk about the increase of demonic pressure, your mind immediately goes to the movies. Your mind immediately goes to demon possession and the exorcist and all the rest of this stuff. But, folks, that is just absolutely way too obvious for it to really be the devil. The Bible says he's more subtle than any creature, the beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. So you've got to think about the power of Lucifer and being able to understand 6,000 years of watching human history and knowing, it, you know, the, the, I'm forgetting the name of them right now, but 16 different personality types, the one that most people go by, whatever the Myers-Briggs or something like that or whatever it is, right? So if they're right and you could sort of boil everybody down into about 16 different personality types, that's really not that many different types to figure out. And if you've been around for 6,000 years and, and you have more wisdom than Daniel, think about that. He was wiser. Think about how wise he was in his original state. You are up against a very formidable enemy. An enemy you're never told in the Bible to fear. You're told to fear the Lord. That enemy can destroy your body, the devil, but he can't have your soul if Jesus Christ has it. So the fear of the Lord is more important, but a knowledge, not being ignorant of his devices, and knowledge of your enemy, and understanding of how he operates, and like Paul said, you're not ignorant of his devices, is extremely important. And I don't think I've ever seen a more ignorant generation of Christians, and not said rudely, not said arrogantly or meanly, a more ignorant generation of Christians than ever before. Completely ignorant of the devices of the devil and how he works. Now, like I already began to allude to, I've seen it growing up. I've seen how the devil works and how he tries to bust up families, how he tries to bust up churches, how he tries to bust up the relationships that are in your life that God wants in your life. Now, let me just say this just because I, I say it. Not because I feel like I need to say it for me. I say it because I feel like I need to say it for those that may be a little bit um, sensitive to it. This series is going to be about your relationship with other people. But it's not that in the sense that you're seeing nowadays in the contemporary movement. Okay? I'm against this self-help stuff like, you know, loving God, loving others, and it's all about people, people, people all the time. It's not that at all. It's understanding that when the devil tries to get you away from Jesus Christ, one of the things he's going to do is try to pull you out of a local church. Like I said last week, a pretty bold statement, but I said, don't even think about moving somewhere. Telling me like, hey, you know, we're going to move and we want your blessing on it. Like, listen, I'll smile, say, hey, I'm praying for you. Have a great time. See you later. God bless you and do the whole pastoral thing. But I cannot possibly even come close to putting my blessing on it. Say, yeah, God's leading you because you got a job somewhere that's going to pay you more money, but you don't have a local church you're in. What the devil wants to do is get you to forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Do you understand that? That's why in the book of Hebrews, written doctrinally to the Jew in the tribulation, he says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but so much the more as ye see the day approaching. You and I need each other more now than we ever have before. It's getting dark out there. It's getting bad. Yes, you need the local church more now than you've ever needed it before. Do you understand that? Amen. Now, I want you to breathe and relax. This is not going to turn into 
harping on you about Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I haven't done that for 15 years. I haven't had a need to. Our Sunday night and Wednesday night services have grown tremendously, especially in the last five years or so. And I've never harped on people about coming. I would rather have 30 people on Wednesday night that want to be there than 100 people on Wednesday night there under duress. You're just going to ruin the time for the 30 that want to be there. You know what I'm saying? And by the way, I don't think you're a second-class Christian if you don't come back. You do what God wants you to do. I come on Wednesday night and Sunday night because I want to. Nobody's pressuring me. Oh, you got the paycheck. Are you kidding me? I come because I want to or I'd quit and do something else with my life. So it's not that. It is that you've got to recognize that as we get closer to the end times, that spirit of Antichrist rising up in the world, the devil's going to do what he can to bust up your home to mess up your marriage, to go after your children, to go after your church, to get you away from the place you need to be, to get the help you need from God to stay faithful in these last times. I believe Jesus Christ is coming soon, and I'm actually excited about it. We'll be talking about it tonight and running some references. It's a pretty cool thing. I want to be found faithful to the end. Now, what the devil's going to do is he's going to do everything in his power to get you out of church to get you away from the place you need to be where you get fed, you get helped, you get protected, you get ministered to, you get corrected, you get right with God. And listen, he sometimes can't do that unless he starts causing problems between you and other people. People that otherwise would never leave their church will wind up leaving their church because they have a beef with somebody else in the church or there became problems between them and other personalities in the church. And you watch that kind of thing begin to start, begin to, the seedbeds of those ill feelings begin to, to, be, to be nurtured and helped and grown and watered and all that kind of thing. And before long, I am telling you, that church, if that church itself is not doomed, the people that are upset are doomed and they wind up out. Now, I'm not being in any way, shape, or form. I mean, I I feel like God is just, this kind of thing's been on my heart for years. But I feel like God's just now giving me the go-ahead because I finally see things differently than I've ever seen them. So I'm not in any way, shape, or form trying to to badmouth anybody, the person that leaves the church, the person that stays, the church that gets split, the leader of the group that split the church. None of that is on my radar. I really don't think any of that's actually the issue. Do you know people have left this church and gone somewhere else and done quite well? Well, they left our church, so they're no longer, they're branded now, like, whatever. Sometimes they've left our church, not backslidden, not out of God's will, because they needed to leave our church, not because it's like, oh, fine, they needed to leave, like, Some people look better going than they do coming. You know what I mean? All the pastor jokes. It's rarely true. It can be sometimes, but rarely. In all reality, some people have left because God led them somewhere else. Not every church is necessarily a fit for you and your family. But I will say this. You don't walk out of a Bible-believing church and into a non-Bible-believing church because it's a better fit for you and your family. In other words, my little brats wanted more, more, more stuff going on to make them happy and have fun, and you didn't offer enough for my little brats, so we're leaving and going somewhere else. Right, yeah, right, 
You know, nowadays kids lead the family more than dad does. Yeah, I said dad. So it's not like, this is not like a message or a series that's targeting like, like if you ever leave Bible believers, you're now, that's not the point. The point is this. The devil works on people to destroy them, to hurt them, to hurt their home, to hurt their church, and he's going to work on some of you. Mark it down. The whole thing kind of started because recently in the last, I'd say, two years or so, we've just seen quite a bit of growth. We went through a, I would say, five to eight year period of time where we didn't seem like we grew at all. Now, you, you did hear how I said that. We didn't seem like we grew at all. Somebody walking in and looking at the membership list and counting the attendance would say this church isn't growing. But you know what was not true? It was not true that this church wasn't growing. This church was growing. And God had to show me that between me and him that there was growth going on that I didn't recognize and the growth was, was deep. It was individuals growing in the Lord and God preparing us to have new people come. So the church was growing. But it numerically didn't look like it was growing at all. So we went through that long period, and then all of a sudden, wow, visitors are coming, and the church is growing. And I mean, in the last year, I think I asked Jim last week, he got called into work this morning, he's not here, but he said he thinks something like 25 people actually joined the church, and we have more people that had been visiting. That's a blessing, ain't it? Man, that stirs my heart up. That encourages my soul. That, to me, is an awesome responsibility. It's not just, yes, the church is growing. It's like, wait a second. These people join. They come. They're committed. They're saying, listen, preacher, we want to learn the word of God from you. We're sitting in this church. We want to hear your preaching. You're our pastor. We're a member of this thing. That, to me, is an awesome responsibility. I am entrusted to try to help you. I'm entrusted by God and now by you to feed you the word of God and give you the truth from the Bible. And if you happen to say, hey, preacher, I need to talk to you, I'm entrusted to tell you the truth about whatever word is discussing whether you like it or not my responsibility rises above whether or not the church is growing whether or not you stay whether or not you like me or like the message or don't it's an awesome responsibility and it scares me half to death to consider the way our adversary works and to watch him destroy families and destroy churches it's a painful thing i take no glory in it at all I want to help you not become that target. But wait. No matter what I say or what I do or how much I preach, somebody sooner or later will wind up backsliding, getting out, leaving, causing trouble, being a goofball. You survived yesterday? <laughs> I heard all kinds of good stuff about you, helping out and everything else, and I heard that you're going to vomit if you ever have to look at pink again. Good job. Glad you made it. See how I meant to mention your baby shower, and Grace said it went great, and a whole bunch of ladies came, more than even signed up. That was really a blessing. Congratulations. And now that... Where's Lisey? Oh... 
I asked Kelly, I said, when are we going to tell everybody? He's like, well, all the women kind of already know already. I'm like, well, can I announce it? Like, yeah, I guess. They're having another one. They're going to find out what it is soon. So the nursery's growing. Hey, that to me is an awesome responsibility. New ones coming on board. I want to make sure that you're not the one. That being said, no matter what we do, somebody will be. So not only is this message, this series, uh, hey, watch out for you because you are the one that may be the problem. But it's also, hey, let's be aware of how to handle it when somebody else is the problem. Because a lot of times you're not the problem. I'm sorry to just say that. You know, I mean, it's like, oh, we're always supposed to be so spiritual. Like, I'm wicked and it's all my fault and it's because I'm so wicked. Well, sometimes, you know what? I really wasn't the problem. Knucklehead was the problem. And Knucklehead made their own decisions. And that's really not my fault that they're an idiot. But I look at me and when I look back at my issues that I've had with people, I recognize like Knucklehead was an idiot. But the way I reacted to Knucklehead made the problem even worse. And I went from being innocent to now I'm guilty in the eyes of God I'm part of the problem now. And I don't want to wind up in that case. I don't want you to wind up in that case. You know, no matter what, I'm just throwing this out there. I didn't even plan, this one's free. I hadn't even planned on saying this. No matter what, when you get divorced, it's not what you thought it was going to be back when you were like, man, I can't wait to get rid of this idiot. I'm sick of him. I'm over it. My life will be so much better when I'm finally done with him or her. Yeah, no, it won't. Now, that's not to harp on the divorce people. We got a whole bunch of divorce people in this church, and you're not second-class Christians, and I'm sorry you went through that and put it behind you, and let's move on. Amen? But I'm just saying, your life's not better. I've watched it. It's devastating. You know, the same thing's true in your local church. I've had people say, we were going to come, but we just have a rotten attitude, so we don't want to ruin it for everybody else. Well, first of all, you're giving yourself way too much credit. (laughs) Okay? Because if you're being a knucklehead, I'm trying really hard not to say what I want to (laughs) say. Can you tell? You're being a knucklehead, that doesn't mean that you have so much power over my life. Right. So, like, you know, like, there's hundred, probably over a hundred other people here this morning. It's like, okay, you're going to be rude to me? Okay, have a nice day. Hey, man, good to see you. Great praise the Lord. Yeah, what a blessing. Glad you're here. Hey, man, how are you? Like, you see what I'm saying? You see what we do? You know what you need to do? You need to realize that you actually do matter. I'm not going contemporary, okay? Is that all right? Trust me, there's not a bone of that in my body. I'm trying to work on being more gracious. That I am trying to do. But my grace is supposed to be seasoned with... Okay, so this ain't going to be an easy series. I will promise you that much. So recognize the fact that, listen, I, I, I know this place will be better off without me. Really? Why don't you stop and think, you know what? I need to get right with God so that I can stop being a pain and be what I'm supposed to be in that place. Your best friends should come from this building. Your closest friends should come from this building. Because we believe the same thing about life and about eternity. The deepest part of our soul is what we believe and how we live and how we see God. And listen, to get along with other people, that, I got to have that. You understand that? I cannot get along with you. Be, 
maybe get along, tolerate you, but I can't be your best friend if you don't believe the Bible is the inerrant, infallible word of God. If you're into some kind of stupid religion, I cannot go with you as a best friend. You understand that? We can't talk about a lot of stuff. Amen. Your best friend should come from this place. But that being said, you're not possibly going to be best friends with everybody in here. There's a lot of you that if we just hung out, just, I'm going to hang out with Pastor Rick, we'll go to the gym together, and we're just going to hang out, be boys. You wouldn't like me very long. Do you understand that? <laughs> you want to go to the gym together? No, I don't want to go to the gym with you. Sorry. That, that's terrible, isn't it? I mean, like, trying to be more gracious, but can't look at my wife right now. She's like, honey, behave. <laughs> you know why? I don't want to talk. Just, just shut up and let's go. Let's train. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to be nice. I want to be nasty. I put my headphones in so they won't talk to me. Right. <laughs> Sometimes the music's not even playing. They're just in. Amen. And they're on mute. Amen. And they walk by and they say something and I'll say, good, how are you? And I keep walking. Amen. You understand personality types? You, can, I, you might love me as your pastor, but you might not like me that much between me and you. And that's where the devil will come in and start working on that piece because the dichotomy of being a Christian, you're not just saved in the spirit, you're still in the flesh. And the devil will take advantage of your flesh to get you out of the place God wants you in so he can slaughter you spiritually. First Samuel chapter 18. The first thing that we're going to look at today, and we don't have to stand or anything, I'm already rolling, so let's just keep rolling. First thing that I notice here. That God be that the devil begins to use. And the interesting thing is that God's also working. It's envy. I want to talk to you this morning about envy and the danger of envy in your Christian life. Notice in verse number five, first Samuel eighteen, five, you know the story. David has defeated Goliath. Um, he gets brought there to, to Saul, and uh, man, he's he's just on the top of the pile right now, right? And Saul goes ahead and promotes him because he brought a great victory for Israel. Starting in verse number 5, And David went out whithersoever Saul sent him and behaved himself wisely. And Saul sent him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people, and also in the sight of Saul's servants. And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet Saul, to meet King Saul, with tabrets, with joy, with instruments of music. So who did they come out to meet? Saul, Saul right? Okay. Good. That makes sense. Because all the way through here, if you watch, when a general goes out to a, to a war and he wins the victory, guess who gets the credit? The king. Okay, keep reading. Verse number 6. It came to pass, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, with instruments, and music. And the women answered one another as they played, and said, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth. And the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more than the kingdom? And Saul eyed David. From that day and forward, 
came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied in the midst of the house. Ain't that a trip? Ain't that weird? I think <laughs> your Bible, that Bible is an amazing book, man. Right when you think it won't work that way, that's how it works. Man, the Spirit of God was in church. That was a blessing. That preaching was great. That's a great, that's my favorite preacher. And then you find out something's been going on in the background that you had no idea was going on. You, you see that? Watch. Uh, the evil spirit comes upon him, and David played with his hand as at other times. And there was a javelin in Saul's hand. Well, in the past when David played, the evil spirit left. Now David plays, and he almost dies for it. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with him, and was departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from him, and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved himself wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Wherefore, when Saul saw that he behaved himself wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before him. What I want to see from this passage of Scripture is the danger of envy. We're going to look at its cause, its curse, and then last of all, its cruelty. Saul in this passage becomes greatly envious of David. I mean, some kind of a little thing hits a trigger in Saul's head and for some reason Saul goes from loving this kid and really thinking the world of him. Saul had promoted him greatly and one little thing happens. I mean, one little line of one little song the women singing and something just snaps in his head and he goes from loving the kid to I want him dead. That's envy. It's a powerful sin. Now, what I want to do is I want to give you the definition of envy because this is something that I think is greatly misunderstood. And it's because people aren't Bible believers anymore. Even Bible believers aren't studying the Bible like they should. And as a result, our definitions of everything are all messed up. I ran the word jealousy throughout my Bible. Almost always the word jealousy is not a bad thing. Don't be jealous. What you mean when you say that is don't be envious. The one place I saw that it's possible that jealousy might not be so great is Paul said, I'm jealous over you with a godly jealousy, right? So that's where that leads me to think that there could be some jealousies that are ungodly. But I think a better definition for that kind of jealousy that we're talking about, a biblical definition is envy. I ran the word envy all the way through my Bible. 20, 20 times envy, 5 times Envies, or, and then envying two times. I think there's a total of 27, less than 30 times the word or a derivative of the word appears in the King James Bible. Every last one of them, negative. It's sin. The word envy means to feel uneasiness, mortification, or discontent. Now watch this. To feel uneasiness. Just... Hi. Birthday. How you doing? <laughs> Hi, Brother Mike. Okay. Hi, Brother. Hi. That's right. Yeah. It's your birthday, so I'm picking on you. Oh. Yeah. You see that? 
Do, do you ever do you ever do you ever get around somebody that's just like for whatever reason? Now you can't jump to conclusions and say they're being envious, but my body language, I'm trying to show you what happens in me when I'm envious of this person. He stops to say hi to me, and I'm hey. I'm just uncomfortable around him. A sense of uneasiness. Now watch the reason for the uneasiness. Because sometimes I'm uneasy and i got a reason to be uneasy. I think he's a weirdo. And he is. Right? You understand what I'm saying? Young ladies, girls, when you get that uneasy feeling about some random dude, just follow that. Don't make a judgment. Don't think that you automatically know and start, you know, trashing his reputation. But you pay attention to that feeling and you get away from him. The safest place to get is straight to daddy. Amen. Amen. Daddy, yeah, that guy makes me feel weird. Okay, good. I'll kill him now and then we'll find out later if he's guilty or not. Amen. <laughs> a feeling of uneasiness. Now watch the reason for it, though. We'll get to it in a second. Mortification or discontent at the sight of superior excellence. So now, now you understand Luke comes to say hi to me and I'm, hey, how are you? Because, because he's better at something than I am. That's envy. At the sight of superior excellence, reputation. Folks, this is an epidemic in this nation now because of social media. Plug your ears if you're sick of hearing about it, okay? Because I'm not stopping. Because of social media. Everybody presents their life on social media better than what it is. Do you understand that? Not a person's like, this ugly little brat of mine just got out of bed. Her hair's a complete wreck, and she's being a monster today. It's like, look at me. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yes, sir. Me and my spouse, we're the happiest couple on the planet. We got the perfect marriage. And you scroll across that right in the day when your husband's being the biggest knucklehead. I mean, it's idiot. I was young and dumb. If I'd have known what I was doing, I'd have picked a different one. You know what I mean? Oh, don't look at me like that. We never have that feeling. See, do you see how, do you see the, the reputation thing? How many followers do they have? How many likes? When you get uncomfortable because somebody's more popular than you, that's envy. Or happiness enjoyed by another. So if you're uncomfortable because of their happiness. I put a little note in here, and I'm putting my own definitions into Webster's 1828. This is Webster's 1828 with Reagan's notes 2022. <laughs> Somebody else's happiness. You know what your ex is going to do? I'm sorry, we don't have a church that just has like, we've all been saved since we were born. We were born into a Christian family. You know what your ex is going to do? When they post their new flame, you know? They're going to create envy in your heart. Because you're looking at them. We'll get to that in a minute. They're going to present it like, oh, I'm so happy now. You obviously were the problem. That's the insinuation. And you're over there miserable, crying in your soup, trying to put it back together, trying to move on with your life. And, well, they're happy. To repine at another's prosperity. Oh, another new dress? Back in the early days of the church, Grace Grace was always buying new clothes, like all the time. I couldn't stop her. That's funny if you know my wife, because she's a hundred times not like that, like more than me, okay? She's way more penny-pincher than I am. But she was always buying new dresses. 
she had this art. She has this uncanny ability to like know when like we're going to Salvation Army today. Okay, sounds like a great date. But because it's this color day, and so when we go in, she's like, all right, I need you to find everything with this color tag on it because they're five for five or whatever. But, but here's the crazy thing. It's not just when the deals are going. She also knew when the deliveries came. <laughs> but I, I guess she pulled employees as she was walking around. Hey, what day do you guys get deliveries? Okay, three of them said it's this day. One of them said the other day. That one doesn't know what they're talking about, so this is the day. That... So like, she's always like, a, a, and, and there's some you know, folks in the church at the time, another new dress. <laughs> and, then, and then it's like the PW thing, the pastor's wife thing. Well, it was on sale at Salvation Army for 50% off and five for five. And, you know, and plus I got a military discount and a senior citizen's discount. It, really, it cost me nothing. And it had the tags on it when I bought it. Do, do, you, do, you, do you know what the real problem is? The real problem is not whether or not you buy a new dress or a new house, or a new car. If you're not flaunting it in their face to be an idiot, that's not the problem. The problem is somebody else is envious of the fact that you got a new dress. It it looks like you're prosperous. And they repine at your prosperity. That's sin. To fret or grieve oneself at the real or supposed superiority of another and to hate him on that account. In other words, somebody gets up to sing this week and you sang last week and last week you remember you messed up and they're doing a great job. Or they're singing the special this week and you're up for next week and you know that they're better than you are at singing and you sit there and at watching their success and watching how good they are at it, you just start sitting there feeling kind of bad about yourself. That is a sin down in your soul that is going to wreak havoc in your life and in the lives of people around you if you don't learn what it is and recognize it and get it under control. The cause of envy. Look at verse number 8. Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They've ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they've ascribed but thousands, and what can he have more than the kingdom? What a strange thing that Saul would look at it and see that the real problem here is that David's going to take the kingdom. Where in the world did you get that, Saul? When you begin to have an envy problem towards other people in the church, you won't recognize the root cause of your problem. You will think the problem is, Pastor didn't shake my hand. You will think the root problem is, well, Miss Grace, she just, she just doesn't do things the right way. You will think the real problem is, well, you know, Dan and Ashley and the youth group and what they did and the rules that they, I mean, they teach too hard on my kid. You'll think the root problem is something that it's really not when envy has begun to take hold in your heart. What is the cause of Saul's envy? It's not David. David is not the problem. The women singing the songs that were accurate were not the problem. The problem was Saul. But it had nothing to do with David or David's success. Notice what it does have to do with. Go back to chapter number 13, please, in 1 Samuel chapter 13. Look at verse number 5. The Philistines gathered themselves together to fight with Saul, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. And the people, as the sand that is on the seashore, multitude, and they came and pitched in mishmash, 
eastward from Beth-Avon. And the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were distressed when the people did hide, and then the people did hide themselves in caves and thickets and in rocks and high places and in pits. And some of the Hebrews went over Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. As for Saul, he was yet in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. Saul's in a mess, man. He's in a bad spot. The pressure of this situation had to be beyond what I could even imagine. And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. So Saul's under a ton of pressure. Samuel, the prophet, had said, listen, wait seven days, right? Saul's under all this pressure. I mean, things are going bad and it doesn't look good and the situation's rough. Israel's still weak and they're not really fully established yet and the Philistines are nothing but a problem and Saul's just got all this tremendous amount of pressure on him and then the preacher says seven days and that cotton-picking preacher, he said it's going to be a short message this morning and he went over. He's been saying that for five years. He's been saying he's trying to preach for 45 minutes and he keeps preaching an hour. You see what I'm saying? Samuel came not to Gilgal, not in the, point, the time he had appointed. And the people were scattered from him. God gives you no explanation as to why Samuel was late, what Samuel was doing, whether it was Samuel's fault or not Samuel's fault. God didn't even care to tell us. All he wants us to get is that Saul's frustration and, and the pressure of the situation built up. And what happened is Saul responds wrong under the pressure of the situation. And Saul said, bring hither the burnt offering, uh, bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. He did something spiritual. Yeah. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end to offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. <laughs> Almost like he's sitting over there waiting to see what Saul would do. And Saul went out to meet him that he might salute him. Hey, there's the preacher. Oh, good. You know, I did something good. I mean, I, I'm, I'm in the right church and I'm doing the right things and I'm serving the Lord and, and I did what God wanted me to do. There was an empty spot and I just filled that spot. Yeah, but God never asked you to fill the spot. Right. And Samuel said in verse 11, what hast thou done? I like Samuel. He's got some guts, man. He loves Saul a lot. You see that later in the book. But when Saul comes running up to him, hey, he said, what did you do, man? Because I, uh, it's, and, and, and Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not, see that, within the days appointed. You know what Saul's already doing? Now note this down in your head, please, because it's extremely important. Saul's already deflecting blame. Yeah. Why is Saul deflecting blame? I'll show you in a minute. Thou camest not in the days appointed that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Mishmash. Therefore I said, the Philistines will come down upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. I forced myself, therefore, and offered a burnt offering. I mean, you, you don't understand the situation I was in, and I didn't want to do this, but, but I made myself do it because I had to get a hold of God because you weren't there on time. Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly, you idiot. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God. Do you see it? which he commanded me, thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Samuel rose and took off. That right there is the seedbed that the seed of envy wound up being planted in, and the seed of envy grew in Saul's life until it destroyed him.
he overstepped. The reason he overstepped is because you read it in the passage, he didn't keep the commandment of God. He wasn't so dedicated to the truth that the truth was all that mattered and what God says, God says, and if the Philistines wipe us out, I will not do wrong to get a chance to do right. Or in this case, do quote-unquote right so that wrong doesn't happen to me. The root of the problem when it comes to envy, the cause of his envy, had nothing to do with somebody's superiority, had nothing to do with David's success, had nothing to do with David doing right and showing up at the right time under the leadership of God and going out there and slaying that giant. And and boy, the general bringing him in there before the king and saying, here's the head of Goliath. Can you imagine what was going on in David's heart in that moment? Now, come on, he's just as human as you and I. We see that later in the book that Hollywood loves to focus on about David. But he's just as human as I, you and I. Can you imagine that kid when the general of Saul's armies come? Come here, we're taking you to the king, boy. Good job, man. He's got this big old bloody head hanging. We got a bottom by the hair, big old nasty beard, blood dripping all over him. He's walking in. <gasps> That's the general of the army. Whoa, man. He's walking in there. I knew God would do it. I knew God could do it. I knew God could do it. And I get to go see Saul. He's brought in before Saul. That poor kid in the early, it's like when you first came to a new church or he first got saved or he first figured out like what Bible-believing preaching was and how, man, it's crazy how I come in here and I sit down and it's like, like you've been following me around all week. Like, man, that was like right to what I needed. I didn't even know what my problem was and God showed me what my, this is great. That's how David was feeling right here. Little did he know that God walking him in there and God walked him in there. That when he got there, such level of sin was going on that at times he was going to think he was going to be destroyed by the place where God put him. And now you just go a little bit farther in the past, in in that same chapter, the very next chapter after he kills Goliath, Saul's becoming envious of him because on their way back, You know why Saul got envious? Saul allowed his relationship with God to grow cold. He didn't follow the commandments. And that thing finally came out in a moment of pressure. Did I mention to you at the beginning, I think we're under pressure? Do you know what God does in times when the church is under pressure? He exposes your faults. A man acts out of character. You know somebody and you've known him for a long time and something's different. It's because they're under pressure. The pressure won't kill you. Actually, pressure creates power. Unless you react wrong to it. The pressure was on Saul. He reacts wrong. And the pressure begins on David now because of Saul's envy. Did I say that I wanted to preach it from both viewpoints? Other people may get envious of you. And when they do, the pressure will be on you. And that pressure can be used of God to create power in your life. Or that pressure will expose what's really going on down deep in your soul. And envy begins to come out and rebellion begins to come out, which is as a sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness as iniquity and idolatry. That's the next thing God sends to Saul when God gives him a verily, verily and says, you're done with the kingdom. He gave him one chance. You know what I noticed missing in this passage in chapter 13? This is why I'm telling you the cause of the envy had nothing to do with what the situation was. 
The cause of the envy was Saul's relationship with God had grown cold. He had stopped obeying the commandments. He hadn't been walking with God like he should. And that was the seedbed in which envy, the sin of envy, was planted. You following that? Because he, before he actually breaks away from the commandments of God, somewhere along the line, he must have grown cold toward God. He didn't love the Lord like he should with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his mind, with all his strength. And as a result of that, he breaks the commandments. God rejects him. What's missing? I believe with all my heart in chapter 13 when it says, And Samuel departed. I think if it said, And Saul reached out to Samuel and said, Stop, man. That was a good message you just preached. And you were 100% right. And you were rough on me. But I appreciate you getting right to the point because there's a lot at stake. And I'm the king of a nation and I run armies and I got a lot of responsibility on my shoulders and I should not have done what I did. Now I want to I offer the right way and I'm repentant. First uh, John 1, 9. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think if he would have reacted that way to that message, you'd have never read the next thing. I think you'd have read an entirely different storyline all the way out throughout Saul's life into King David ruling and reigning and then Solomon coming in after David and all the rest of that thing. But he didn't react right. The problem was rooted, the cause, the root cause of envy was rooted in his personal relationship with God and it was all off because of that. Envy is a spiritual problem. Back to 1 Samuel 18, please. Envy is a spiritual problem. We've spent a lot of years in the past preaching about the sins of the flesh. Preachers focused on all that. Well, I'll tell you this much, that's the least of my worries. Do you hear what I said? I'll say it again, and, I, and kids, you know what our stance is on this, right? Don't worry about cigarettes killing you because we're going to kill you first. <laughs> Amen. But they will kill you. But I say this again, I've had smokers in my church the entire time I've pastored. A couple, not, not like a church full of smokers. And you don't know it because they got enough respect not to smoke on the property. And they bathe in cologne and whatever else to try to hide the smell of the smoke, but it's flesh. They got addicted to something before they got saved and now they're in church. You want to run them out of church? Oh, they're smokers. You want to run them out of church because they smoke or you want to let them keep growing in the Lord and maybe they'll get the victory with some time? That's what I'm doing, okay? You do what you want, but that's what we're doing here. Never had my church split by a smoker. Never had my church split by a drinker. Never had my church split by somebody who had a drug problem. Whole lot of cleaned up Christians have caused a whole lot of problems because the sins of the Spirit are more damning than the sins of the flesh. The sins of the flesh will wreck your flesh. You understand that? They're not a joke, kids. Right. It ain't funny and it ain't cool. That's right. You'll end your life early. You'll make mistakes you ought never make. You'll cause pain and grief to you and your family. You don't need. The sins of the flesh are not light. We'll get to it in this series. But the sins of the Spirit, that's where Lucifer works. And the sins of the Spirit can sit there for years unnoticed because the suit and the clean haircut and the, you know, clean spit, you know, don't chew. I'm not a smoker. And those sins of the Spirit will sit there and percolate. And the root cause of sins of the Spirit is the Spirit of God's not flooding you and in control. Your relationship with Jesus Christ grew stale. And now you've got an issue with somebody else. 
There's the root cause. Notice the next thing, the curse of envy. Look at verse 10, 1 Samuel 18. And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul. And he prophesied in the midst of the house, and David played with his hand as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided it out of his presence twice. And Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him and he was departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him and made him a captain, captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. What a snake. Do, do you see what he just did? Saul has slain his... He got envious of David and he made him a captain over what? He's a captain over how many? A thousand. Oh, Saul slain his what? You know what he did? He busted him down. He took away his stripes. What did David do to deserve it? Well, I mean, if you sit and you ask Saul, if you get on the text message feed with Saul, if you watch Saul's Facebook posts about that horrible, you know, preacher and all that he did, then you're going to think David was an absolute animal. How could David? He's trying to take the kingdom from Saul. Did you see the way he strutted into that tent? He's a young man. He just won the victory. I'm sure he was fired up. I'm sure he was excited. He is bragging on God and saying all the right things, but I am 100% sure that his adrenaline was rocking at that moment, man. Come on. Oh, did you see the way he was acting? (laughs) Oh, he's the problem, isn't he? So now all of a sudden, Saul busts him down to the captain of a thousand. He's demoting him. And God lets him do it. He's the innocent one in church. He's the one getting beat up in church. He did nothing wrong. He's being mistreated and God is allowing it to happen. And he goes from being all the way up there next to Saul to busted down to running a thousand. You know what God's doing? Your reaction, your reaction can sometimes make you more wrong than you were before. Make you part of the problem. God's testing his mettle because you can tell more about a man by how he handles a demotion than you can by how he handles a promotion. Everybody loves getting promoted. But your real character shows when you're asked to step down. Now Saul's over here and he's just absolutely beside himself because he ate up with envy so much so that now when David comes in to do what David always did, David hasn't changed. David's doing what David always did. And a javelin hits the wall right next to his head. Have you ever been there? Like, what did I do? Like, I I always do that. And now they're coming after me. I haven't changed. Nothing, my behavior pattern hasn't changed. And now everything I do is always, always framed by some kind of ill intent. David's framing every move, Saul's framing every move David makes by an ill intent. Because David, Saul has the problem with David, so David's planning to help him out. And he says, Boom, I want you to die. What in the world did I do, man? 
David did nothing. You know why you know King David's name? He's coming back in the millennium. He's a man after God's own heart. Because David let it go. You know how hard that is to do? When somebody is full of sin and you don't even know what the problem is because you can't put your finger on it, but it's a spiritual problem and the root cause is their relationship with Jesus Christ has gone stale and now they're coming after you and you didn't do nothing wrong and the preacher's not even stopping it. God's not doing anything about it. And David, David, man, David, David is probably my favorite Bible character. I think he embodies the balance it takes to be a good pastor. Someday I want to be like David, minus the one issue, a couple issues. <laughs> because here he is, he's like, I, I'm a, uh-uh. And he runs twice. The curse of envy is that it'll make you begin to fight against the wrong people. Yeah. Did you hear me? The cause of envy is your relationship with God grew cold, not somebody else's success. The curse of envy is you begin seeing everybody as your enemy, even when they're not. That's what Saul did. Because you know the story, for the sake of time, we're not going to turn to all the passages. i got a bunch we can turn to. But Saul not only goes after David, but he goes after Jonathan. His own son. And he cusses Jonathan and cusses Jonathan's mother. Calls him the son of a perverse, rebellious woman. He cussed her out. For what? Jonathan did nothing wrong. And Saul tries to kill his own son. Because he's ate up with the curse of envy. And I've seen too many Christians get ate up with the curse of envy. Not even knowing they have it. Always justifying their actions. Always feeling like everybody else is the problem and this isn't right to me and does nobody feel sorry for me? That curse went so far. He not only fights against all the wrong people, but fear begins to build up in his own soul. Look at it in verse number 12. Saul was afraid of David. What what, what are you afraid of? Look down at verse number 29. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David. And Saul became David's enemy continually. Every move he made, Saul hated. I hate that guy. He's just, he's just playing. Oh, she's singing, huh? Oh she's, oh, she's on the list to clean the church. Did you notice that when we signed up, they signed up? You know what? You know what? More often than not, stuff is just coincidental. I'm talking like nine times out of ten. But that thing becomes really demonic. When you got a bad spirit and you look, oh, now they signed up. They're not the problem, you are. You're ate up with envy and you're going to start killing people you ain't supposed to be killing. You're going to get on God's bad side because you're throwing javelins at David and God ain't done with him yet. You know what I've seen in church? You know what I've seen in homes? I've seen envy build up in a home and destroy a family. And nobody can address what the problem is. 
It's like, well, what's going on? Well, he, well, she, well, she, well, he, well, they, well, he, well, she. You know what? You know what the problem is? The problem isn't all the outside stuff because we're all human and we all do dumb stuff. You understand that? Okay? All of us change for the better. And guess what else we do? We change for the worse, too, don't we? Is there anybody in here like over 50 that would vouch for this? Like, it doesn't get easier to be sweet with time. I mean, I know it's supposed to, but, you know, you can get kind of set in your ways, kind of opinionated, kind of like, you know, that little brat ran by me again. They do that every week. I'm going to trip that stinking kid. Oh, sorry, honey. Did you trip over my foot? I have a, a, a disease from my medication. It's a side effect. It's a twitch, you know. All that stuff isn't the issue. The issue is much deeper. It's much more subtle. It's much sneakier. It's envy. So here's Saul now. He's trying to destroy this guy because he's under a curse that's eating him up and it fills him with fear on the inside. You ever, do you, now, now let me ask you a question. This is going to be tough. This is going to be hard. You ever have people out there that you're afraid of having to run into them again? Uh, I don't want to see them. Oh, what am I going to do if they come? What am I going to do if so-and-so joins my church? Because you got a personal deal? Oh, I'm at the front of the line, so don't look at me like I'm being hard on you. I'm at the front of the line. Fear. You know what I figured out? I figured out some people in my life that were Saul's are nowhere near as dangerous as I thought they were. You know why? Because God's the one that's really in control anyhow. If God ain't done with me when that javelin comes flying at me, it's just going to hit the wall. That stinks. <laughs> Here we go again. But, but whatever. Why? Because God's in control. Fat people get mad. Family get mad. One or two get mad, and the whole family leaves the church, and it's 27 people. You see the seating capacity in here? Think about what a dent 27 people leaving in one fell swoop does. Uh oh. Hey, look around. We're doing pretty good, aren't we? What I'm trying to say is when other people act out of character or do wrong, it ain't going to destroy you unless you let it. The curse of envy. Saul's now fighting against the people he shouldn't be fighting against and lashing out at people he shouldn't lash out at. And then he winds up going down there to the city of the priests in Nob and wiping out not just the priests, but wiping out the women and children. Do you see the fallout that comes when you and I allow envy to take over in our hearts? The guy he's trying to destroy does not get destroyed. Actually... It builds him. Because in the same passage where Saul's wiping out the priests and the whole city of Nob, earlier in that same passage, David's hiding out in a cave because that cycle full of envy is trying to destroy him. And while he's in that cave, all that are in debt, distressed, and discontented, all the losers and misfits nobody else wants, run out by society, their lives are a train wreck, their histories are just botched and marred and nasty and stinky and smelly with the wrench of sins of the flesh. And they're tore up. And they need somewhere to go where they can just 
crawl off into a cave somewhere and have somebody feed them a little bit of the Word of God and have somebody try to help them and patch them up and love them and take care of them and just a safe place to go where everybody ain't gossiping about their life and their background. Where they don't walk in feeling like they stick out all the time because they're, they're a soup sandwich. And those are the guys God's sending into that cave to sit around with David and the rest of the world's moving on without them and hunting them like dogs. Because of the sin of envy. And God sees the whole thing going on and God's like, all right, I'm building this boy and he is on a train wreck with hell. Because God takes away his salvation and doesn't give it back. And he makes that clear in the Bible. Saul went to hell. Now you think about that. Wiping out all them women and all them children and the animals over there in Nob. And the person he's trying to destroy is just growing and getting solidified and getting strengthened and having a group of guys come around him that are getting loyal to him and loving him and getting help from him and getting strengthened by him and they're strengthening him in return as he strengthens them and God's doing an amazing work over in a cave while Saul's out there with his envy slaughtering and killing everything in sight because he can't get over his envy of David. Do you know how many Christians have train wrecked their own home because they can't get over their issue with somebody else in church or something else or something, whatever it might be. You just plug it in where the Holy Spirit plugs it in in your life. But while it's eating you up from the inside out, whoever you're envious of ain't being affected at all. God continues to bless them and they're going on and you can't destroy them if you try. But you're wiping out your own family. You're planting seeds in your children that are sitting in the back seat where more is caught than taught. And you're planting seeds in their life that's going to wreck them 20 years from now. Destroy their marriage. Because they're watching the way you handle things or the way you operate and the way you think and the way you view everything and everybody. Saul had his eyes off of Jesus and fixated on David. He was on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, what else is out there? TikTok. He was on all those and he was following him and looking him up all the time to see what he's up to now. His eyes were fixated on David and it was destroying Saul. Last thing, we're done. A curse of envy. It's the cruelty of envy. Envy is so cruel. It will not stop even when it's self-destructing. I already pointed out to you what he did to the priests and to all the women and the children and the animals. But even though Saul recognizes Saul is destroying himself, he won't stop. Because he is ate up by the sin of envy. He is discontent with what God gave him, what God put in him. We talked about the root of that thing. Do you know when God picked Saul, like I told you last week, when God picked Saul, God picked him not because he was head and shoulders above the people? That was a fact God gave you that I think God used because God knew the people would respond to that when they saw, ooh, look how big and strong he is. That's what we're looking for. So God's like, all right, I'll give him that. But God picked him because God said to him, when thou wast little in thine own sight. That's when God was pleased with him. You know what that tells you? Somewhere along the line, he stopped being little in his own sight. He started thinking he was somebody. He started thinking he was important. 
He started recognizing he had the power of God on his life. He started recognizing what, how much good he does to help this church out. Man, I went by here 10.30 in the morning yesterday, heading up to Mrs. Ferguson's. And there was already three or four cars out here, and the thing didn't start till noon. And little Birdie told me that some people drove an hour and were here even before they had been here a while already. That's, that's pretty awesome. That's the kind of stuff a church needs. That's a blessing. That will always be a blessing as long as there's people around willing to do that kind of thing and it doesn't go to their head. Not picking on the people that were here yesterday morning. Just a great illustration of a huge blessing. A lot of you do a lot of things behind the scenes. And you know what? When you first start doing it, it's no big deal. You know why? Just glad to be a part. But then when sin creeps in there, you start being little in your own sight. I don't think you're doing that right now, okay? So please, I'm not harping on anybody. I don't think you're doing that right now. I'm telling you how it always goes. I've watched it for years. It's not just you. I have to watch out for it. If God blesses and grows this church and we get an addition done this year and people keep coming, and man, souls keep getting saved. What a blessing. That'll be great. Long as I don't start thinking I'm more important than I actually am. Because when I start thinking I'm more important than I actually am, guess what? Somebody else will come along that God blesses more. Somebody else will do something and get some credit for it. And I've been working behind the scenes and got no credit at all. Nobody even knows what I do. Because I'm not little in my own sight anymore. And that's when envy begins. I deserve more. Let's close in Mark chapter 15, please. I'll show you the only cure for something as horrible and subtle and destructive and dangerous as envy. There's only one cure for it. Mark chapter 15, look at verse 9. Pilate answered them saying, What will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. You mean the motivating factor behind kidnapping our Savior and taking him to the cross to condemn him. The motivating factor. The demonic power was envy. Those chief priests saw the success of a 33-year-old guy. Saw the power of God on him. And the real issue was they couldn't find an issue. But he was successful. So for envy, they crucified Jesus Christ. Say, preacher, how is that the only cure for envy? It's his blood that washed away the sin that crucified him. Does that make sense? When envy begins in your heart, you have got to get to Jesus Christ and recognize that he's forgiven you for that thing and he alone has the power to wash you clean of that. Now, I'm not talking about your eternal salvation. I'm talking about your relationship this morning. 
You have to confess that thing and he is faithful and just to forgive you that and cleanse you from it. And without the help of God, you'll never get that thing back under control because James chapter 4 tells you the spirit that is within us lusteth to envy. There's not a person in this room that doesn't have a problem at some point or another, on some level or another, in some way or another with envy. Not one person. Oh, that's not me. Oh man, you might have it really bad. Well, I just don't think I'm that. You're probably the problem. Because it's that subtle. You know what you and I ought to watch out for? It'll wreck you. It'll wreck your marriage. It'll wreck your home. It'll wreck your church. Envy. And the only hope for it is getting to Jesus Christ and saying you're more important than anything else in the world and I got to stop worrying about them. I got to stop letting them bug me. I got to stop obsessing about them. I got to stop caring what they say, what they think, what they did, what they didn't do. It doesn't matter. I got to stop thinking about whether or not my enemy is more successful than me. God, if you want to bless them, you got a right to bless anybody you want. Whether I like them or don't like them, whether they hurt me or not, if you love them, then I love you and if I love you, I love them. So bless away, God, bless away. Make them, make them worth something, do something great with them. Just pour it out on them, God. Give them what you want them to have because I can't do this anymore. I got to have you and you're more important than me harboring these feelings. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that can help you with it and only his blood. Let's stand to our feet this morning.